Heavenly Father, we thank you for the whole of your word. Lord, we thank you that you have given us each and every word contained in it, each and every book. And Lord, we pray that you may grant us understanding as we look at a part of your word that is so dear to us, the book of Psalms. Lord, we pray that this psalm may be particularly clear to us this morning, its message, particularly in light of the rest of your word as well. Oh Lord, we pray that you may grant us understanding this morning. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit may move amongst us and may make us all the more strong in your Son, Jesus Christ, as a result of looking at your word this morning together. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. Well, as most of you know, last month I went for a wedding in Queensland that I conducted, and it was in uh, it was at the Gold Coast, but not so much on the Gold Coast as up in the mountains uh, in an area called Mount Tambourine. And while we were up there, we stayed up there for a couple of nights, and uh, the relatives of the people that uh, were having the wedding, they they invited us over to one of the houses of the relatives who live up on Mount Tambourine. And it was really nice to go over to this house. It was a, a very large house, very impressive house. Uh, it even had a second kitchen called the Butler's Kitchen. I don't know if they actually have a butler, uh, but they had a kitchen for a butler if a, ki- a butler was ever employed by them. And But one of the amazing things about this house was the view. They were perched on this breathtaking view with which you could see all the way over the Gold Coast, all the spread of uh, those towers and, uh, and the suburban homes, and then the ocean itself. It was this amazing view that we were able to stand there and Jill, of course, got some pictures, uh, some selfies, uh, some non-selfies of our children and we were able to get this wonderful view in the background to the pictures of themselves. And apparently it is such a famous spot because of its view there that you can see right out to the ocean that a few months earlier Angelina Jolie if you know who that is, uh, you'll be suitably impressed probably. Uh, she, a very famous actress, uh, used that as a location for one of her films. So they had helicopters and stuff uh, flying around up there, just a little further down from where this house is, uh, not on their actual property, but a little bit further down on another property. Uh, they were filming for one of her movies uh, because it is such an incredible sight from that mountain. And we do recognise when we are up on a mountain and we get to look out on an amazing view that is a great privilege to be on a mountain, to be on a particularly nice hill. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, a particular hill, God's hill, and who may live on such a mountain. When we were at that home, we recognised that only the people who are very wealthy in Queensland or uh, in Australia could move to a location like that. That breathtaking view there is for those who are particularly wealthy, or in the case of this relative, those who inherited the family farm. Uh, This had been a large farm and then had been divided up into small blocks as uh, the children each got a piece of the property and then built a home there with this amazing view. Amazing views, wonderful mountains to live on come at a price and who can live on such a mountain? And that's what we're looking at this morning in verse Psalm 15. Uh, Psalm 15, verse 1, it says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? And so my first main point this morning is that God's holy hill is worth living on. I mean, there are some mountains that you wouldn't really want to live on. Uh, There are some hills which are not worth your time and bother. 
what is the point of wanting to live on God's hill? Why should we desire to live on God's holy hill? And that's my first main point this morning, that God's holy hill is worth living on. Why? Because it's a place of protection. And we see that in the way that it is described there in verse 1. It says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? In your sanctuary. Uh, the literal translation of that from the Hebrew is just the simple word for tent. Who may live in your tent? And we understand that God's holy hill is associated with a tent. And of course in the Old Testament, the tent of meeting was this tent that uh, had God's presence in it and where you went uh, to meet with God. And this, of course, then indicates that God's place is worth going to because it is a place of protection and a place where God is. And that's also indicated by the words holy and hill in verse 1 as well. Who may live on your holy hill? God's place, his hill, is holy, meaning he is present. He is there. It is a place that is different from other places in this world and from anywhere else in this world. And, of course, as a hill, it is a place of protection as well. We recognize that in history again and again. If you're up in a fortress on a hill, you're in a place of protection. Why should you want to be in a hill? Because it means that you're protected from danger around you. And if you're in a tent, you're protected from the elements to some degree. I always give tents a bit of a bad rap because I think that they don't protect you from much at all and they're not a particularly good way of living. But if you're going to take a tent or no tent, I would take the tent it's going to protect you somewhat from the elements. And so that is the idea, that we want to be on God's holy hill because it is a place of protection. And at the end of the psalm, it actually says about those who are on God's holy hill, it says something quite intriguing about them. At the end of verse 5, that last uh, stanza there, it says, He who does these things will never be shaken. If you are God's, on God's holy hill, you will never be shaken. And so we have this wonderful description here of the place that we should want to be. God's holy hill, his sanctuary, his tent, where we will never be shaken because we are in a place of great protection, which is what we want. We want to be protected because we know that there are so many things that can harm us. There are so many things that do shake us, whether it be other people, whether it be our own thoughts, whether it be our own body with the aches and pains that it has. We recognize that there are so many things that shake us. And so we should want to be on God's holy hill. Now, where is God's holy hill? Well, in the original context of the psalm, it is referring to Jerusalem over in Israel. But in the New Testament, we see that there's a new Jerusalem, a Jerusalem that is above, a heavenly Jerusalem. And, of course, if we understand that heaven itself is that Jerusalem, then we should want to be in that heavenly place because we know that heaven is described in the New Testament as a place where we won't be shaken, where we will be protected from all things, death, crying, suffering, violence, sin. We are protected on God's holy hill in heaven. So we should want to live on God's holy hill, as this psalm asks who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live on your holy hill. We should want to be there and we should be then asking this question. Who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? We want to be there, but how do we know that we can be one who lives there? And so can anyone just live on God's holy hill? Or is it only certain people, maybe the very wealthy, like that mountain that I visited in Queensland, where only the really wealthy would be able to have such a wonderful spot? 
Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. God's holy hill can be lived on. God's holy hill can be lived on. And the psalmist tells us who can live on God's holy hill. And when we read through this psalm, we think, yes, this makes sense as to who can live on God's holy hill by the descriptions that are given. Because we recognize that it would only be good people who can live on God's holy hill. And so as we read through, we go, verse 2, he whose walk is blameless. As someone who can live on God's holy hill, and we'd say, Amen. Yes, only blameless people should be in heaven. And who does what is righteous. Amen. That's same thing, isn't it? Someone who is perfect, who does always right, who speaks the truth from his heart. Yes, that makes sense. The person who is in, Jer- in Jerusalem and in God's holy hill should be someone who speaks the truth and has no slander on his tongue. Amen. Who does his neighbour no wrong. Amen. And casts no slur on his fellow men. Amen who despises a vile man, because, let's face it, often we like vile people and we are attracted to them, but we recognize that on God's holy hill, a vile man is despised by someone who lives on his hill and someone who honors those who fear the Lord. Amen. That should be the people that are in in Jerusalem, God's heavenly uh, hill, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury, without interest, Now, that's a nice person, isn't it? Someone who lends money without charging you interest. And so, of course, that kind of person, they've got to be on God's holy hill and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. That makes sense. We wouldn't want someone who is accepting bribes against the innocent on God's holy hill. So here we see that there are people who can live on God's holy hill. And we look at the description and go, yes, that's the right kind of person for God's holy hill. But then as we consider this a little more carefully, we have to recognize that these the people who can live on God's holy hill are perfect people. They have to be perfect. I mean, verse 2 hits it straight out of the park there. He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous. And so doesn't that then mean that no one can live on God's holy hill? It really has higher standards than that mountain that had that breathtaking view in Queensland for me. You can actually live on that mountain if you have enough money or enough connections. But here, when we look at this, we go, can anyone, a human, live on God's holy hill, someone whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous? And that brings me to my third main point. God's holy hill can be lived on by no one is the logical conclusion of this psalm as we read it through. As we read through, it says, he who walk is blameless. And we go, oh no, I'm not blameless. And who does what is righteous. Oh no, I'm not righteous. Who speaks the truth from his heart. Oh no, I don't speak the truth from my heart. I might sometimes, but not always. And has no slander on his tongue. I have slander on my tongue. Who does his neighbour no wrong. And casts no slur on his fellow men. Oh no, that is not me. Who despises a vile man. I recognise, as I said before, We often like people who do wrong things. And we actually let them into our house often on our television sets. They do all kinds of wrong, all kinds of acts of violence and sexual uh, perversions on our uh, our entertainment unit there in the television set. And we laugh at it. We don't despise it. And someone who honours those who fear the Lord. Well, I do honour those who fear the Lord sometimes maybe but not all the time, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. means keeping your word even when it hurts. 
How often do you break your word? Which means, oh no, can I live on God's holy hill? Who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. As we work through that psalm, we go, oh no, oh no, oh no. At first we go, oh yes, oh yes, that makes sense that that kind of person can live on God's holy hill. But then we go, oh no, oh no, because this means that we cannot live on God's holy hill. We are ruled out from being on God's hill. Except for one person. There's one person that does fit this description. And that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. God's holy hill can be lived on by Christ. God's holy hill can be lived on by Christ. We've read through the psalm as looking at it and saying, yes, this is the standard that we would have to admit is what is in heaven. Then we've read through it again and looked at our own lives and said, oh no, that means we can't live in heaven. But then if we think about Christ and his life and we look at the standard for living on God's holy hill, then we have to admit that there is going to be at least one person who gets to live on God's holy hill. Look at verse 2. It says, He whose walk is blameless. Christ was blameless. And who does what is righteous. Christ was righteous. Who spoke the truth from his heart. Christ spoke the truth from his heart. Who had no slander on his tongue. Yes, he had no slander on his tongue. Who did his neighbour no wrong and cast no slur on his fellow man. Yes, if you look at the life of Christ, that exactly fits him. Who despised a vile man. Yes, he did. And honoured those who fear the Lord. Yes, he did. Who kept his oath even when it hurt. Jesus was hurt many times in this world and ultimately at the cross. Why? Because he was keeping that oath that he made. He swore that he would do what the Father wanted and he would do what God willed for him. It hurt him, but he went to the cross. Who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. We could never imagine Christ accepting a bribe against the innocent. And so we could recognize here as we read through this psalm that we may not be allowed to live on God's holy hill because of our unrighteousness, but Christ in his righteousness certainly can. But then we have to ask the question, okay, so in heaven... God's holy hill, is there only one human there? Jesus Christ. Is he the only one that is in heaven? Whereas we look around, we look at our own lives, we look at those around us and we recognise that no one else fits this bill. Well, that brings me to my fifth main point this morning. God's holy hill can be lived on in Christ. God's holy hill can be lived on in Christ. There are people living on God's holy hill right now who are not Jesus Christ. And we see that in that passage we just read in Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Flip with me there again to that page, page 1220 if you've got a black church Bible. Revelation chapter 7. And we have this revelation that is given to John of what is going on in heaven, that heavenly hill, that holy hill in heaven. And what does he see there in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They're there in that heavenly Jerusalem before the throne in front of the Lamb. A great multitude that were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So there's people in that heavenly Jerusalem who are not Jesus Christ. The question is, how did they get there? If we look at Psalm 15, it tells us that you have to be holy and blameless. Where did these people come from that are in heaven who must fit the bill to be there? And that's what is asked in verse 13 of Revelation chapter 7. What does it say there? Revelation chapter 7. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? Because surely no one's allowed into heaven if I know Psalm 15 rightly. Verse 14. I answered, sir, you know. That's John speaking. And then he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Who are these people? How did they get there? Did you catch it? They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, it says there in verse 14. What does that mean? It means that they are in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, death at the cross, has washed them washed all that unrighteousness, all that slander that they have committed against others, all the times that they have not spoken the truth from the heart, all the times that they have lent money just so that they could make money off other people, all those times that you've broken those commands that are given in the Old Testament and are held up there in Psalm 15 as who can be on God's holy hill, all that has been paid for by Jesus Christ. The wrath that we should experience from God for our sin is paid by Jesus Christ so that we can ascend God's holy hill. Now, how is that possible? Well, it's because Jesus Christ left God's holy hill one day at the cross. Isn't it interesting? Where was Jesus Christ crucified? He was crucified outside of Jerusalem, the physical Jerusalem there in Israel. He was taken outside, off God's holy hill, and crucified. And at the cross he experienced God's wrath instead of God's blessing. He was removed from the spiritual, heavenly hill of God that day so that we could then go and live on God's holy hill. And that happens for us if we simply trust in Jesus Christ. How do you get your robes? washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb, you just trust that Jesus Christ died for you, that he was taken from God's holy hill, from heaven to earth, outside of the physical Jerusalem as well, for you, so that you can live on God's holy hill in him. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you live on God's hill through him. And so if you're not a Christian, I encourage you, trust in Jesus Christ today. Read Psalm 15, read it and weep at the fact that this is the standard by which 
You must live if you are to live on God's holy hill and then recognize that you do not fit that standard and then turn to Christ as the only one who has lived perfectly and then was taken from God's holy hill so that you could live there through him. Trust in him. Now what if you are a Christian? What about now? Can you live on God's holy hill now? Well, that brings me to my sixth main point this morning. God's holy hill can be lived on in Christ today. God's holy hill can be lived on in Christ today. As you can dwell in Christ now, you can live on God's holy hill. Now, this doesn't mean that you actually can go to his he- your heavenly home right here and now, but you get many of the benefits of living on God's holy hill even here. What did Psalm 15 tell us? is the picture of those people who live on God's holy hill. Verse 5. Turn with me back to Psalm 15. Page 538 of the Black Church Bibles. Page 538. Psalm 15, verse 5, it says, He who does these things will never be shaken. How can you tell if someone's living on God's holy hill? Is in God's presence, living in Christ? Well, they're never shaken. And we can actually experience that in this world here and now. We can experience the blessings of heaven even now. When sickness, when suffering, when violence, which is we're protected from by God's heavenly home, one day we'll be protected from it completely, we can experience the benefit of not being shaken even now in this world if we live in Christ. When suffering comes, yes, we grieve at it. But it doesn't shake us as it shakes a non-Christian. When we see a great act of terror committed in this world, it can shake a non-Christian to the core. But for a Christian, they're not so shaken because they recognize that they have a heavenly home. And if that was to happen to them, that they're going to another place. And if they were to die in some great act of violence, that they would be okay. And so they're not shaken. They know that they live in God's tent even now. They live in God's presence. And so if you're a Christian, enjoy those benefits of living on God's holy hill even now in Christ. Look forward to that heavenly home where you will live on God's holy hill in a way that you can't even dream of really here in this world. But accept some of the benefits now and then live as someone who lives on God's holy hill. Look at Psalm 15 and go through it and say, if I am in Christ, then this is how I'm supposed to live. I'm someone who lives on God's holy hill and is looking forward to being in that heavenly home on God's holy hill. And so I should be someone whose walk is blameless. And so you don't say, oh, no anymore. You say, by Christ's strength, I will try. And who does what is righteous, by Christ's strength I will try. Who speaks the truth from his heart, by Christ's strength I will try. And has no slander on his tongue. And who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, by Christ's strength I will try. Who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, by Christ's strength I will try. Who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. By Christ's strength, I will try. 
So do you recognise here this morning what the standard is to live on God's holy hill? That it is someone who must be perfect. And then do you recognise that that means you cannot, by your own strength, by your own righteousness, live on God's holy hill because you are a sinner and you've committed crimes against God and against humanity again and again. Each day you continue to demonstrate that you are not righteous and so you cannot live on God's holy hill by your own righteousness. And then do you recognise that Jesus Christ is the only person who is able to fit this description in Psalm 15 perfectly? And then do you recognise that in Christ you can actually ascend God's holy hill and live on God's holy hill forever. That through him you can be righteous, you can be blameless and be recognised by God as someone who is able to live on his hill even now but also that heaven and that one day when you'll be called home to heaven. And then if you recognise that, that you in Christ can live on God's holy hill, do you seek to live like someone who lives on God's holy hill? Christ has indeed paid the way, but that does not exempt us from living as people who live in that heavenly home and look forward to being in that heavenly home. Do you look at a psalm like this and say, by Christ's strength, I will try to be someone who shows they are living on God's holy hill? And then do you rejoice in the fact that by Christ's strength you can actually live on God's holy hill and by his strength look like someone who lives on God's holy hill, that you can do these things by Christ's strength. Let us speak to our God now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is a holy hill, that there is this wonderful mountain, a wonderful mountain of protection, on which we will never be shaken. Lord, we thank you that there is that heavenly home that we look forward to. And we thank you that you have told us who can ascend, who can live on your holy hill. Lord, we pray that we may recognize that by our own strength we cannot. But Christ has indeed ascended into your heavenly home. And in Christ we can ascend with him. Lord, we pray that we may trust in Christ and so be blameless, be righteous in your eyes because of his work. And Lord, we pray that we may start to live lives that picture what Christ has done for us. May we start to live lives of righteousness by his strength and show that we are indeed people who live in your presence. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.